welcome to episode three of Tangent Space. I'm John. And I'm Brandon. The last few episodes, we've been talking about a couple of movies from Ridley Scott, the Prometheus and Alien Covenant movies. So we want to change it up this week and talk about something different. So keeping with the sci-fi tradition, uh, we're going to switch to a concept that we got from a book this time uh, called Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Uh, it's part of a trilogy. It was written several years ago. And it deals a lot with AI. Uh, in fact, uh, the protagonist of the, the whole series is a, an AI that is also uh, a ship, a spaceship. Anyway, so without spoiling the book too much, let's just talk about this one concept. So if anyone still wants to read it, which I at least can recommend it, uh, you won't have it spoiled for you. So the concept that came out of this book uh, happened when one of the characters was talking to the, the main character, the protagonist, who is an AI, and asked them about you know how they seem to have emotions. And the AI replies that, yes, it, indeed, it does have emotions, and it has them for a reason, a very good reason, which is to deal with having basically a million inconsequential decisions to make in, in any given day. So this means stupid stuff like what clothes you're going to wear. You, you reach in the sock drawer, which ones do you grab? Real boring stuff, but you have to do it, right? You know, they don't really affect anything. So if you're a computer and you're trying to compute what's the best thing to do all the time, you, there's not really enough data or enough ability to project where these decisions will lead that you can really pull out the best one. So essentially what you do is you just pick randomly. And that is kind of what an emotion does. Uh, so you just trust your feeling at that moment and go with that. It's like a shortcut to decision making. So you're saying that the fact that I'm super indecisive about tons of stuff that doesn't matter means I'm not emotional enough. Exactly. Perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I got to get some passion about what clothes to wear, right. what to eat for breakfast. and Right. Yeah, this, it really, you can freeze up if you, if you try to do everything rationally. Because there's some problems that just can't be solved. You know, there's just not enough data and, and the payoff anyway is... Right, it's not worth it. I have seen this problem or problem or crutch or something happen in indecisive people. I've seen the solution, and maybe this was being in the physics world, that I see mm. the nerdiest solution possible. <laughs> <laughs> but that the, you would have, for, for some decisions, sort of arbitrary ones, like a, a way to generate a random decision in your head. I mean, this has been around forever, right? It's just flipping a coin. Yeah. And I've known people, you know, that had a sort of discrete random number generator in their heads. Mm. You know, and you can do stuff like look at the clock and do something right. like that or right. take some feedback from the real world. You know, right. how many feet can you see right now or, yeah. or something yeah. like that? Even number, odd number, first thing you see. Exactly, you know? exactly. I've used a coin to make some important life decisions. Right. I was, you know, deciding whether to transfer to a school or go one postdoc or another postdoc. And I've definitely just taken out a coin and flipped it. But I would say that I think that moment where it's in the air and you're trying to figure out or you're trying to wait for it to come down, mm -hmm. you feel somewhere inside what you want. Right. I think it's there. And I think some of us who are very indecisive just have a hard time expressing I see. what you want. Mm -hmm. And so then when it's suddenly up there and it seems like it's left up to chance, then all of a sudden you're like, no, that's mm -hmm. you know not what I want. I want this. Right. And, and yet still I would wait for the coin to land. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't come up the way I wanted, I would keep on doing it until I got like <laughs> two out of three or three out of seven or, or four go. out of seven, right? In order That's to see that. science is done. Right. So <laughs> confirmation bias, right? <laughs> Trying to get the universe to line up with what I secretly wanted. Right. So I knew that it was the right thing. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so I can understand the idea of using sure something sort of random, but you have control over it to make yeah. decisions, and it's you know maybe it is a substitute for at least expressing and knowing your emotion, right? That's right. like knowing that you want something and being mm-hmm. able to express it would make that decision easier, right? But perhaps if you don't, that's an issue, which I never thought of it in that way, right? Yeah, so I started thinking about this in the context of other AIs and sci-fi portrayals of androids mm-hmm. and stuff. And this kind of relates even to the Prometheus and Covenant thing that we were just talking about, in that you had first this David character mm-hmm. who was clearly super emotional and then replaced later with Walter who was way toned down, right? right. right? He was way less human and he did more everything mechanical. a bit, bit more rational. Yeah, it was really like the same thing as in Star Trek when you have lore and data, mm-hmm. right? So, so one, they made you know, have no emotions and the other one kind of went wild and was a, you know, real problem through the entire universe. So those always portray the lack of emotion as an almost godlike mm-hmm. thing, right? And this is the historical perspective too, where you, the highest level of thinking is separated from your emotions. It's just pure reasoning. And so it's kind of glorified in a lot of ways. But when you think of it this way as the way to deal with impossible decisions, you couldn't really function in that mode. Right. You couldn't go full logic or you'd just freeze up. You right. never would get out the door because you couldn't decide everything perfectly. Hmm. The thing that gets me too is that, you know, you, the obvious first order solution to this is just to go straight random, right? Yeah. You don't need emotions. I mean, this is probably how data works. I mean, in right. my mind anyway. Just roll a dice. Yeah. When when data goes into the, the turbo lift and he turns left or right to face back towards the door, he has to make a decision. Right. He just rolled the dice in his head. And I think it landed one way. And so he turned that way. Mm-hmm. But that's not that optimal, I don't think. I mean, it certainly works, right? It's fast and accomplishes mm-hmm. what you want. But I think you can be smarter about it. You can do better which I believe is what emotions sort of accomplish. You know, it's, a, it's still a dice, but it's, you know, a bit biased by your recent experience or your, your memories, right? So, like, if you were having a real crappy day and you were faced with a kind of random decision, you might tend towards the safer one because mm-hmm. this day is already crappy. You right. can't handle anymore. You know what right. I mean? And it, it's kind of a floating bias. It depends on what's happening to mm-hmm. you. But I, I, I think it makes you do better than just sheer random. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of that is tied to go back slightly to when you're saying a lot of times you you see this ideal as acting rationally without emotion in a machine Mm. or as this like evolutionary step of people. You see a lot of these futuristic settings. And I wonder how much that is because you think of animals or, you know, old humans as purely having emotion. Right. That's a really good point. But yeah, it's cool that animals have this too, right? I mean, that was a really functional way to design an animal brain too. Right. You don't want to try to pet your cat when they've been annoyed all day because you'll probably get scratched. Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, that probably exists on in some form on like every level. So you go further and further, you know, to more simple life forms. You know, lizards probably have closer to a real randomizer. Mm. Right. Yeah. But then even to like cellular level, probably there it is truly just random. You know, does it swim one way or the other or something. I mean, it probably has something like that where it yeah. can get by. Well, that, you know, not to get too far off track, but then you start thinking about what is actually random. 
you know, yeah. was a random process, right? That's a whole other philosophical oh, yeah. and scientific scientific debate about how you define random, what kind of process can you use? I mean, this is very important in computer science and, yeah. you know, generating random numbers, cryptography, breaking encryption, right? The fact that random's right. not always random. Right. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so I think also what was interesting about that point in ancillary justice of using emotions as decision-making and what we were just talking about in terms of thinking that making decisions rationally is opposed somehow to emotions or better in some way. And so then to, it's kind of interesting that to put it in something, an AI or machine that you think of as pure calculation and, you know, no sense of emotion, then to say that it incorporates emotion as a way of making decisions just completely blurs the line between mm. calculation and rationality right. and yeah. emotion. Exactly. Emotion is a calculation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. It makes you take it a lot more seriously even. I mean, if you, if you think of the fact that it's necessary, mm -hmm. you know, you like couldn't design something really that's intelligent without it, then, I mean, how can you really dismiss it as yeah. a, yeah, unreliable thing? Yeah. I, I guess it's tempting to think that this uh, is a solvable problem with like enough computing power. Right. Right. I think, you know, people imagine we get some quantum computing going on mm -hmm. or we get some kind of really boundless resource, you right. know that you could just calculate the optimal sock to wear, or you could calculate, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, exactly everything right. Uh, but I, I think actually that that's sort of ruined by, you know, measurement error and, you know, even quantum stuff, right? You can't yeah. predict everything. There's a problem with yeah. that. That's how our universe is. So at some level, it doesn't really matter how, how good you are. Right. You're going to have to have emotions about something. And I think, you know, to rephrase it in terms of, you know, concepts used in things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, right? Like the first time you look in a course or a book or you just think about it, like, okay, well, what if I want to play chess as a computer, mm. right? Of course, if you had unlimited resource and time, you could look at every single possible game given that configuration. Yeah. And weight them by, you know, what the percentage chance of this move sure. leading to that. Yeah, just right, but you can't do, at least they weren't able to do that in the beginning. Right. Right. So you'd have to do these limits of saying like, okay, I'll look three moves ahead. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to use these heuristics where this configuration of board I know is good right. or like better than some. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of these base level stuff that these things are built on because usually you can't like in Go with all the yeah. Google AI triumphs, right? You can't simulate the whole game because it's it's impossible there's just more configurations yeah. than there are atoms in the universe or right. something like it's absurd yeah you know but it's interesting to think that you know emotion being in the like more primitive whatever life forms i mean yeah. it came first evolution wise yeah. uh so whatever we think of as consciousness had to be built on top of that so mm -hmm. you know if you were trying to design a conscious ai it might make some sense to start with emotion and then you know, see that awareness somehow is an emergent property of that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's... Hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the blurriness in general is like a, a funny two-sided thing. Like you introduce it to simplify, right? Yeah. Uh, because you can't process all that stuff. But you end up with like emergent complexity because of the blurriness in the first place. So the system gets more complicated because you took a shortcut on an individual level. Yeah, you have to be careful that the shortcut you took isn't affecting the thing you actually want to see. Yeah. Right, that's... Right. Oh, yeah, that's a whole other 
topic of emergent behavior and mm. the debate over whether or not we have any evidence of strong emergence. What? You know, like if you have a set of things mm-hmm. where you understand the basic laws governing them, do you ever get a behavior that's completely right. unknown from that? And it's a little bit hard to define, of mm-hmm. course, right? But it's a big question, right? And that also is why, you know, people want to say things like consciousness are emergent. Maybe, exactly. Like, yeah. I've heard this. But in terms before. of like a, in a pure scientific sense, yeah. right? There are things called emergent phenomena and there's a difference between that and what's called strong emergence, I think. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, I would, it'd be something interesting to talk about in the, in the future, I think with cool. a little more background right. reading, yeah. but it's a interesting question. Like, can you, have some behavior come out that's just completely mm-hmm. because of how it interacts in this. Yeah, yeah, this is not old, determined yeah, by exactly. its basic laws. This is an old debate. There's yeah. like a philosophical, you right. called like a physicalist or something. If you believe the mm. thing will come out of just the parts, if right. you set it up right, right, then you'll get the emergent thing. Right. And then, you know, other people believe that, oh, no, no, we have a soul or something. Right. And it's not going to come from just a body. Right. Yeah, so this, I mean, even in a weird science way, right? When you talk about that there's uncertainty on the smallest level in our mm-hmm. universe, right? Uh, you have this, you know, Heisenberg stuff going on at the, at the smallest level that you can't really be sure where something is. Everything's a little bit fuzzy. Right. Um, anyway, that's kind of built into our universe. And I think it leads to a lot of really interesting phenomena. Uh, you, I mean, you certainly couldn't have like quantum tunneling or any of those like, noticeable usable quantum effects if the electron was only in one place right none of that could work Uh, so it it leads to a bunch of interesting stuff uh anyway here's here's where it gets crazy though (laughs) so i this this thought occurred to me when i was we were talking about n-body simulations Mm -hmm. so this is a way that people simulate say dark matter for the whole universe and what you do is you you just replace all the the mass in the universe with like points basically Mm -hmm. like a blob of x amount of mass and it's Mm -hmm. a ton of solar masses for each one still but it's the universe so you can't afford to have that many and you you run everything and just have gravity affecting everything Mm -hmm. and then you get the structure of the universe out of it anyway you have computational problems with this right so like when things get too close for example Mm -hmm. you know if, if two of these blobs get real close you have some gnarly gravitational forces and you have to right. compute accelerations on a tiny, tiny time step and it becomes like right. infeasible practically. Anyway, so what they do is they put in a thing called a softening scale, mm-hmm. uh, which means, you know, below this certain distance or whatever, you just approximate or you, you do something else rather than compute every time right. step. You right. know, you, you get rid of, you wash out that accuracy right. and it doesn't really affect larger properties of your simulation mm-hmm. right uh so so that's a fair trade-off anyway but then this came up talking about n-body simulations and then the fact you know we're talking about simulations of course came up that this theory maybe we're in a simulation right, right now right. right this potential reality that we're mm-hmm. not in the base reality we're in someone's simulation of a yeah. reality and it's pretty interesting from this n-body point of view because for us to do a simulation of reality, we have to put in a, put in a softening scale, right? Because we yeah. only have a finite amount of computing power, mm-hmm. especially computing detail of our own level, right? So if someone were simulating us, they would probably have to put in a softening scale too because they don't want to compute every single thing. Mm-hmm. And we sort of have a built-in softening scale. We do have one. It's like, it, 
<laughs> you know, a crazier person would say this is evidence that we're in a simulation. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, and there's but there's legitimate, uh, you know, research activities in that direction. People who trying to formulate quantum gravity, mm-hmm. you know, quantum mechanics plus gravity. One of the approaches people use are things called the generalized uncertainty principle or looking at a fundamental length like a Planck length and seeing how that affects the physics. Like, does yeah. that, is there a way to tell that this is true and that does this solve problems with quantum gravity and so that's a direction people actually legitimately do research in right you know ideas of a fundamental length or you know how the uncertainty principle can affect gravity and of course you know that's all up to debate over yeah. you know how good or bad these ideas and how true they might turn out to be but you know that's definitely a direction people have thought about yeah. in legitimate research yeah i think you missed the point where i just said we're in a simulation no i sure definitely <laughs> How do you know I'm not just saying that? <laughs> exactly, to you. you would, dude. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's interesting to think though. Like, maybe the intent of the simulation was something completely different. I mean, to put it in our in-body context, maybe I meant to simulate dark matter because that's all I yeah. care about. But because I put in this softening scale, it, it developed consciousness or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's a side effect. What if we're a side effect very in someone's Douglas simulation? <laughs> it's yeah. very Douglas Adams of you. Kind of is, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that's also something people have thought about in, you know, famous philosophers and, you yeah. know, from Descartes and oh, yeah. so on, thinking about how do you know this is a dream or not a dream, right? And then mm-hmm. popularized, of course, in The Matrix in the late 90s, that movie where people... Right. are in a their normal life is in a computer simulation basically of yeah. a previous reality so in the matrix where this you know was a very popular movie so people started thinking like oh yeah how do you know you're not in a computer simulation it's it's the modern equivalent of how do you know if you're dreaming or not yeah right or like inception yeah and movie also made pop this idea of the spinning thing or whatever right. the way that you can the, tell the dream uh indicator dream token yeah, exactly it's called. yeah it's a it's like if you say, looked at something that's supposed to be random in our reality, yeah. you know, and found that it in fact repeated, you know, like, yeah. like a computer random number right. generator, then you would have a huge indication yeah. that we weren't in the real reality. Yeah. So it, I mean, I'm curious what you think, but it's just a total tangent, but God, that's God damn it. That's what we're called. <laughs> he said the name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, if this were a simulation, I mean, how would you go about finding out? That's yeah, that's a really good say you were, you know, super rich, you had limitless resources, you could do whatever you wanted. Like, what would you do? That was your that was your fixation. You had to know. I mean, first, I think I would educate myself on computational theory. (laughs) I'm super boring. I'm super boring. Okay, Okay, go on. Um, But there is a way to like study things and say, like, how do you know? How do you what do you resources do you need to compute something on a certain level of fidelity? right? Right. Like, so if you want to let's say, simulate a oh, life okay. form, on a, like right. a thing. What you know, resource do you need to do right. it? So then you extrapolate to say, okay, I'm made up of mm-hmm. however many number of atoms. And right, you've got so much things. data like, encodes right. you. So yeah. how much do I need to do it, right? right. And, so we could guess at who's simulating us anyway, what yeah. they would need. Yeah, well, how big is the computer? Do you need a galaxy-sized computer, like <laughs> right. a universe-sized computer? Yeah, I, I think mean, I've heard of calculations like this. Yeah. This might yeah, be a thing. We might, yeah, it might be something to look into. We could do a whole yeah. thing into that, looking at the numbers. Right. Um, but yeah, to go back to your question of what would I do to tell? Yeah. Like to puncture a hole in yeah, reality exactly. with the dream world, yeah, like yeah. Matrix style? Yeah, yeah, what would you do? Unlimited money. I think the physicist in me would just say, okay, I'm going to build the biggest fucking collider I can and okay. go to the highest possible energies. Okay. And see like 
does reality break down in some at some point weird unexpected way or is like does this show you that there's just an inconsistency in that right this so sort of apocalyptic way to get to the next level yeah, like, apocalyptic <laughs> physics you know experiment you blue screened our, yeah. our stupid simulation things <laughs> uh, cool. yeah i mean i think that's a way of looking at how the world is built right that okay these things are true here but if i do something at a you know, at a higher energy or lower energy, are the rules different? Is there some right. inconsistency? Yeah. Right. And that's, I don't know, that's something, that's something that people have a real issue with, like quantum mechanics versus classical mechanics. Sure. Like it's just so different. You can't grasp very well that the microscopic world acts on rules that mm. would yeah. be absurd if they were true, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, on our scale. Yeah, you know, and so do you see that and say, oh, we're just, uh, you know, we're just the classical approximation on top of quantum mechanics. We're just a, uh, you know, yeah. weird simulation on top of there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I guess one of the hardest parts would be deciding what was actually evidence of being in a simulation and what was just something new. Right. Because we've been seeing new things for a long time. Yeah. I mean, hard to say. Yeah. Well, so let me rephrase the question then for you. What would you have to see that would make you question yeah, the nature of reality? That's a good one. Okay. So I have an answer to this. This is why I asked, of course. <laughs> but I can't actually claim that it was my idea. I, I don't know. I had this big discussion with some people a while back and mm -hmm. someone came up with it and no one can remember whose idea this was. But the thing that we thought of, the way to tell whether you're in a simulation or not, mm -hmm. is to make simulations of a reality okay. right, as close as you can to yourself, whatever you can okay. afford to do computationally. And the thing you're trying to like get them to do, changing things or running mm -hmm. them over again, mm -hmm. is to see if one of them can contact you. Right? You like simulate the earth a million billion times and then one time one of them figures out how to break through the simulation la layers and then you copy their idea. So, yeah. So two thoughts there. One, that reminds me of that great Rick and Morty episode oh, yeah. where uh, Rick, the scientist in the episode, finds, you know, an energy source. He has a little cube. Yeah, his car battery. Right? Is and, a yeah. And basically it's another universe inside there where their sole purpose is to like turn a crank or whatever, which makes energy for, right. you know, the outside universe. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, other universes all the way down because mm -hmm. each of them doesn't want to do their own work. Right. So they come up with another universe to do it. Yeah. Real and so that's, a, that's the first thing it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. And the second thing is a little more boring, but kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, you know, so you use virtual machines in a computer, right? Yeah. You simulate a computer inside of a computer, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's almost directly what you're saying. It's the only way to run Windows. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to do a lot of stuff like researching in viruses and dangerous stuff, right? You don't want to contaminate oh, yeah. systems. Oh, well, that's true. Okay. But the interesting thing is sometimes there's bugs in the virtual machine. And so something can break out of the virtual machine oh, and infect the larger machine. Cool. Right? And this actually happens in, you know, like Amazon and other hosting services. If there's a problem, it's possible for a process to break out of its uh -huh. quote unquote universe and right. affect this other one. Yeah, it was always sad, actually, that they didn't use this strategy in, in the holodeck to get into some more Star Trek. Uh, mm. Why didn't like... I, oh, right. Yeah. There was this episode where something's going wrong as usual and Jordy's trying to solve it. And so he simulates this woman who designed the Enterprise. I forgot her name. Okay. Like the engineer that designed cool. the Enterprise. He simulates her and like works with her. She is quite accurately simulated to her okay. personality or whatever and her intelligence. And he just uses her as like a, a partner to fix this problem. And I thought watching that episode, like why didn't he just simulate himself too 
and then put the two of them in there and like make a jillion copies of it and run it at you know ten times speed. He could have solved that thing a million times in in like a right, second. Right. Yeah, if you could simulate that, that and you're done. One of you is going to solve it. Well, I, I think that's a symptom of a lot of Star Trek stuff. If you dig too deep, you find well, these, yeah, of course, you know, like oh, they can uh, transport people, so they can deconstruct them down to their individual mm-hmm. atoms or quarks or whatever, and and their complete configuration. So does that mean they can just then put that all in the machine and just let it run? Right. Like, they have the power to then do a perfect simulation. Right. I mean, yeah, but the point is, like, that's a, a pretty good solution. If you ever get anywhere near simulating yourself, like, you can know anything. Like, anything you could possibly ever learn, you already now know. Yeah. Speaking of weird numerology... <laughs> Yes, speaking of. Uh, so I was saying you could test, you know, our reality for traces of random number generation. That would be like one way to tell if we were in a simulation. Okay. Uh, anyway, I did hear one time about a sort of super strange phenomenon that happens in random numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called Benford's Law. So it's this thing where if you take like a giant set of measurements, you know, like or stock prices, or, you know, people's heights, or, you know, something like that, the first significant digit, so, you know, 1.1 or 2, whatever the first thing, uh, tends to be low. Like, it's seriously skewed. Like, way more probable, like 30% likely to be a 1, and then down to, like, 5% at 9. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, this is a real thing. It's super measurable. Yeah. And people will, like, you can tell, apparently... Uh, fraud by using this. Right, because people generate numbers and not following that distribution. They yeah, think they'll, they will naively think right. that the first digit of, of all measurements should be random, but in fact right. it isn't. It's not, and you can tell that it's a forgery because their distribution will look yeah. different than, than what we expect yeah. from Benford's Law. Anyway, so I'm not saying that's good evidence, but <laughs> it, like, it, that's a weird artifact. Interesting I've never thing. heard a very good explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there's a lot of different factors that affect it, especially yeah, worth like looking real world into. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's worth a look. Super crazy, man. It is weird. I don't remember why I heard about it some time ago. I don't know if it was just a random internet thing. Okay, yeah. And then just seeing it, I was like, what? Yeah, it kind of blew my mind. What must have that felt like for the person discovering that? I bet they started to suspect simulation. Probably went crazy. Yeah. I thought they were... <laughs> I might, you know? God, we just started crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah, we did. Okay, we should probably tone that down a bit. <laughs> hmm. Don't decide not to pay your bill because you think you're in a simulation. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, in conclusion, you should read Ancillary Justice to yeah. start with. I think we can both give that a very strong recommendation. It won a bunch of awards. You name the award, it won it. Hugo, right. Nebula. Yeah, and all three it, books are right. quite good. They're all good. They're out. You don't have to worry about it being like a continuing series and waiting. <coughs> George R. R. Martin, for those who read that. <laughs> um, you know, it was very interesting. This one sentence had this insight that you can really think a lot about. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty transformative in my thinking. Yeah. So good book. Go out, buy them, read them, enjoy them. Think about AI. Make your own fucking podcast. <laughs> Make your own fucking podcast. <laughs> and we out. <laughs> Nice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Tangent Space. You can find us online at tangentspacepodcast.com. All right. We'll see you next time. See ya.
reduce lip smacking. We recommend Applebee's. <laughs> Juice! <laughs>